You guys can open your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, there should be a Bible uh, in the pew in front of you, a row of chairs in front of you or behind you or read off somebody, but there should be a Bible that you can access. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2 and just wait there for a little bit. But uh, I want to thank Zach last week. Jim and I were away. We went to a leaders conference. And so I really didn't have time to prepare a sermon. I thought this would be an awesome time. This would be, uh, this would be Zach's first opportunity to actually preach. He's led, obviously, many Bible studies, but hadn't had that opportunity. And there had been a burden that God had put on his heart. Uh, and, and I do mean a burden. You know, in, in Isaiah, uh, he says, this is the burden of the Lord. And uh, your versions say the oracle of God. But I believe God put a burden on his heart. And it was about rest. And, and I'm just going to say this. When he put up that picture of Cooper just resting on his chest. And he said, Cooper wasn't asleep. Do you remember what Cooper said? Safe. Safe. And he just kept safe. And what an amazing picture that is of our God in which we get to rest in his arms of love. Amen, church? I don't think there was a dry eye when he did that. Unfair. Uh, Really communicated this truth of rest. And so what I'm going to do, we just closed out our study, uh, a life group study on Wednesday nights, and then the sermon and series that I went through in 1 Peter, both life groups and sermon series in 1 Peter. And we're done with that. And, and I really hope that God communicated this truth, if nothing else, this truth, that we can find joy no matter what life throws at us because we serve a God, an amazing God, who is sovereign above all of that. Isn't that right, church? And because of this, we can rejoice because even in the midst of those fiery trials, remember that word, burnings, that's what they feel like, right? Burnings. We know that my God has something up and that he is going to work this out. And he is going to work something in me and through me. Right, church? So what I'm going to do now is, God is, as I've been praying, God has laid on my heart to go through a sermon series entitled Life in the Spirit. And so today I want us to focus on that very first concept of life. But to do that, I need us to understand what it is not. Let me go back just a few days. July Fourth, I turned, I thought I was turning 58. I'm only 57, thank you. But a lot of you guys come, we probably have 40, 50 people in our house, and we were eating brats, and uh, I love brats, man. Sorry for those, when we ran out of brats and you had to get stuck with the hot dogs. My apologies. That was not the plan. But uh, I I love brats. The only problem this past Wednesday is that it rained from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. We started our party at 3, we ended at around 6, 6.30, at least that was the plan. Um... And it rained. And I I think, I mean, I think the brats turned out okay. But Cooper and Rusty, I think, were so disappointed because we had promised them that they were going to be able to grill with Grandpa that day. And Juliana, being the generous, my second daughter, being the generous girl that she is, just for no reason, it wasn't their birthday, it wasn't Christmas, she just went out and bought them one of those play grill sets. And they've been playing with it. Every time they come over, they play with that grill set. And uh, we need to expand that, Juliana. Right now, it's just hot dogs that they can grill. But uh, we, we'll, we can get some, we'll work. Oh, hamburgers. I think they got a few hamburgers. But they were looking forward to it. And Juliana said, look, when it comes to 
grandpa's birthday on Wednesday, you get to grill with him. And it rained. Oh, man, I am sorry. But you probably also noticed something about my house when you came over Wednesday. And you probably noticed that broccoli stalk that now stands in the side yard, right? At least that's what it looks like. Um, it was a tree. It's a 20-year-old tree, believe it or not. And I made sure that I would always cut the branches about six feet from the ground. And I, I just realized, honestly, all the grass under the tree was dead. We were re-landscaping flowers and such. And so I, I want to clear this out. So I tell the landscaper that we go with, he gave us a decent bid. And I said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to clear, chop off this branch, this branch, like seven low branches. Get rid of them. And I, I want you to kind of thin it out a little bit, a little bit. He didn't catch that. So when I come home, it looks like this broccoli stalk. All the branches, all the way up to the very top of the canopy, have been trimmed off. Now, what inspired me is that Josh came over one day, and Josh is not six foot. Josh is six three or six four, and he realized that for him to walk under that tree was not really possible. So that inspired me. You know what? I really do need to trim this tree. So I did. And here's one of the things that I find when, the, when it rains really hard. Now, this was about six, seven, eight weeks ago. Uh, when it rains really hard, the wind blows. Some of those branches that they cut fall to the ground. You know, uh, you know they, they, when they cut them, they fell a little bit. And, but now with the wind blowing, it falls all the way down. I've got one here. It's about six weeks old, I guess. It's obviously been broken or cut. And it fell to the ground just the other day. And as I'm looking at this, I'm going to tell you this is a dead branch. And here's how I know this. Number one, it's very brown. There's no green to it whatsoever. There's no leaves on it. There's no acorns or, uh, or anything. I got something on the end of this that looks like it might have been... Oops, it broke off. They're brittle too. They're brittle. You look at the end, it, it's, it's completely dry. This is a dead branch. You know what? This was me before I turned age 14. You know what happened to me when I turned age 14? See, I grew up in a Christian home. I thought that I was truly alive. I went to church every Sunday, but this was me. I was disconnected from that tree that brings life. You know, when I went through biology or whatever class it was, I think it was biology. You, you probably did. You learned about the xylem and the phloem. Don't ask me what they are, really. I just know that that's like the sap, I guess, that drains out when you cut into the tree. And if the branch is not connected to that tree and getting that whatever xylem phloem life, it's going to die. And this was me. Age 14, this was me. My brother sat me down and he explained to me why Jesus had to die on the cross for my sins and be raised from the dead. And I'd heard about, I'd heard this story. Oh, please, it's only Friday and you're giving it to me now. And I just, just wait till Sunday. That was my attitude. And God needed to make me alive. He needed me to first understand, though, that I was dead. So that's where I want to start. I want to talk about life to you today, but we need to understand that this was us. And if you're a Christian today, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, this was you. But here's a reality check that I'm aware of. It is certainly possible that some of us here this morning, this is, this is still us. This is still us. We're brittle, we're dry, and we are very easily broken. And some of you this morning, that is you. You're broken. I want to tell you about a Jesus, a Savior, who can fix that. I want to tell you about a God that when you're connected to him, he brings life into you. 
You see, for me, until I trusted him, that was me. I was empty inside. Maybe that's where you are today. There's an emptiness there. There is little to no real hope. There is little to no real purpose in your life, except if you read the philosophers today, the existentialists, you got to create meaning. And, and you feel like you're kidding yourself. I have no meaning in life. Amazing how this universe just happened by chance. No purpose whatsoever. And here, come, here comes along mankind. And man is obsessed with what? Purpose. How ironic. But when we're outside of Christ, when we are this, when we are dead, the only thing that we can do is manufacture our own purpose. And I'm sorry, but when you do that, it feels so contrived. You have to look around and try and find some meaning in this life. And I'm just going to tell you, if that is you, if you feel as if you are aimless, you feel as if you're empty, no hope, no purpose except what you manufacture, what you create, I'm going to tell you this, you need to be connected to the one who created everything. Because all life, all life comes from him. And this is what I also know, that in my life, I felt alone. I grew up in a big family. We fought all the time, just like large families do, I guess. At least that's what I thought. I had, five, I had four brothers and one sister who was a tomboy and regularly beat me up. Um, she charges that she didn't do that, but I still to this day believe, yes, she did. And... You know, that, that's what we did, okay? We fought over that last piece of pie. All forks went in at the same time. Don't ever put your hand in it, by the way. And that was, that, that's just what I grew up with. But there was an aloneness. And here's what people do today. They feel alone. They feel that empty. They understand this concept of emptiness and no life. And so they go around and they look for it. They look for it everywhere, under every rock. They, they, find, they try to find it in, in money. They try to find it in nice things that add value to them. So they think they try to find it in relationships where, hey, I'm not alone. I feel loved. And the problem is that that will not satisfy. It was never meant to satisfy. Are you there with me in Jeremiah chapter 2? I want you to look right now at verse 13. Jeremiah 2, 13, he actually speaks to this very issue of death. He says this, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Here's number two, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Do you know what a cistern is? A cistern is different than a well. A well pretty much goes straight down, a big old huge hole in the ground, four feet, six feet, eight feet, however wide, all the way down into the ground until it taps into a water source, generally called a spring, and then it stops. And so that well is regularly fed by this spring of water. <coughs> Cisterns are very different. <coughs> Cisterns are created generally in rock. You carve out the rock. Generally, it is only two to three feet wide, whatever two to three feet wide is around here, I guess. <clears throat> so it's easy to cover. And then it gets larger as it goes down. And it's, it's in rock, 
And that rock will now hold water. You, it catches rain. You put water in it. It gets filled up with water. The problem, though, is if there are cracks in that rock. And generally, you're going to find cracks in rock. And so what they do is they get a lime plaster. They coat the inside of it. And now it doesn't leak. The problem that God is seeing with Israel is that you really leak. You're broken. That plaster that's inside, it's cracked everywhere. The rock that you carved, it's, bro- it's cracked as well. I don't care how much water you pour into that cistern, it's going to leak out. So this is what it looks like in reality. Let me step away from this metaphor, this picture of a cistern. And this is what Israel was like. He says, you've forsaken me. You used to find your satisfaction in me, but now you do not. Now they're looking for it in relationships. They're looking for it in power, wealth. They're looking for it in strength of their army. They're looking for it in marriages. But may I add marriage after marriage after marriage? Because here's the reality. People were never meant to satisfy, satisfy your longing to be loved. They weren't. They were, God created us to enjoy one another. As a matter of fact, God created all things for us to enjoy, okay? He created them for our enjoyment, and yet this is what we do, isn't it, church? Because we're dead, and we want to fill this emptiness, to fill this sense of aimlessness, we look for purpose, and we look for satisfaction, not just enjoyment, satisfaction in all of these things, in relationships. So what do we do? We fall in love. Oh my goodness, I just feel so good in Inside, and you marry the person, and within a year you realize not only are you a broken cistern, but so are they. And there's emptiness inside of them. And that love, it's enjoyable, but it lasts for a season, and it doesn't satisfy. And the problem is that this is happening even in the church in which people, they discard their spouses like used Kleenexes. And they treat each other that way too, I might say. And they're trying to find the satisfaction in which God never created us to do that. Let me give you an illustration. I love Rocky Road ice cream. I love the chocolate. I love the nuts. I love the marshmallow. And did I tell you I love the chocolate? And so I will sit down, and it will take me, no lie, I'll sit down, we're watching a show or a movie, and I will make that ice cream last as long as I can, maybe stretch it out to 30, maybe even 40 minutes, and for two reasons. Number one, I pile it so high, okay? Number two, I eat it so slowly. But when I'm done, and I can be bad about this sometimes, I'll go back to the freezer and get another bowl. And yes! Yes, it has happened when I have done that second bowl. I want another one. And I have to, okay, self-control now. But it's because that ice cream is not satisfying. But do I enjoy it? Oh, you bet I do. It's just that I can't eat bowl of, bowl, after, bowl of ice cream after bowl of ice cream, okay? Uh, I will get sick, actually. Ice, God, didn't, God, cre- God created ice cream for us to enjoy. I really believe that, church. 
But he did not create ice cream for us to find our satisfaction in. Because the enjoyment only lasts for a while. So here's the question. Today, if you're like this, and there's no life in you, then I'm going to suggest to you, you are seeking to find your satisfaction to fill that emptiness and aimlessness, sense of purpose, sense of being loved in every place but the right place. Every place but the right place. Now, look at the previous portion of that verse. See, a cistern can actually dry up or a cistern can remain stagnant. Have you ever drunk from a stagnant pool of water? You know the film? Should I go into detail here? It, it, yeah. Oh, You know, it, it, in, in, when they were writing Greek and such, they, they used this concept of a cistern, Old Testament and, and uh, now into Jesus' day, and they would call stagnant water in cisterns dead water. That, that's what they called it, dead water. They were this. But what does God say? God doesn't say that he is a cistern full of water. He doesn't say that because cisterns have no source. What does he say that he is? He is a stream of what kind of water, church? Tell me, please. Living water. That is water that brings life. Water that doesn't leave you like this. It leaves you like this, okay? It's green. It bends. It's not brittle. It's not easily broken. There's life in this. As you look at this, you can tell that it is full of life, and eventually it will produce fruit. It will produce acorns and reproduce. That's the cycle. But there's life in this. I'm going to suggest to you that our God is this amazing stream of never-ending, refreshing water. When I'm out in the, the, cutting the lawn and trimming the trees and doing whatever I'm at for a couple of hours out in the Florida, summer Florida heat, and I come back inside, I have made this mistake at times that I fill up my huge... We have some glasses that are like absolutely monstrous. And I'll fill it up with ice and soda. Oh, I heard some of you. Oh, yeah, I've, I've actually done that. I mean, there's no other type of tea, iced tea, other than sweet tea, right? But sometimes you get that tea and it's like just perfect. That means, in my language, it is super sweet. And even that does not satisfy. I will drink so much of that so my belly is full and I will still be thirsty. Some of us, we are hungry and we are thirsty and when we try out the world and we think we're full, we're still hungry and we are still thirsty because we're drinking from the wrong water. I'm talking to you this morning about living water. I'm talking to you about a source of water that brings life. Instead of emptiness, there's a joy in your heart. When you're facing trials, you don't say, I can't believe this happened again. I feel like my life is out of control. I feel like there is no God, that nobody is for me, and we're frustrated and we're angry. And I'm going to tell you, when you tap into the source of God's living water and there's life in you, there is a sense of 
purpose in your life. There's a sense of God loves and cares for me. And scripture is absolutely true that there is nothing that will happen to me outside his sovereign will. That even the hard, horrible things that might happen to me in my life, if I can but surrender to him and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. He's able to take that and turn it into something absolutely amazing. Amazing. See, that's the promise that God gives us, Romans 8, 28. That was actually, has become my life verse. That all things work together, together, all things together, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I want to talk about this life. I want to talk about this amazing God that He offers us this continual source of living water. I want you to turn to John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, Jesus is kind of fleshing this. We just read from the Old Testament. Jeremiah, he lived about 600 years before Christ was born. So fast forward to 600 years, 630 years, now Jesus' ministry. And this is what he says in John chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from verse 38. There's a lot more in this context I could get at. I just want to get right to the heart. He says this to the people, whoever believes in me. What do they have to do, church? Believe in me, right? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of what? Living water. Streams of living water will flow from within him. That water that I'm talking about, that God says he is the streams uh, or rivers of living water that never end. You know, when you get down into the aquifer of central Florida, that water, it goes for miles and miles and miles. It's like this never-ending source of water. That is our God. That is the source of life that he offers you. Not death, not emptiness, not aimlessness, not this God, where are you? Not this sense of rejection, not this sense of aloneness. God, this amazing, endless, eternal source of life. Life. And Jesus says, guess what? When you tap into that, that gets inside of you. That living water, those streams of living water, they They get inside of you, and they flow within you. He says in the very next verse, he says, by this he meant the Spirit. Say that with me, church. The Spirit. The Spirit. That is God's promise to you. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Now, we're going to get into that last part, actually, tomorrow night in the Acts and the Pauline Epistles class, because we're going through 2 Corinthians, and he talks about that in two places. This deposit, Greek word is erebon, in which it's a down payment. It's a deposit, the Spirit of God in us. But I want to focus on having believed you were marked in him with a seal. You see, that word seal is God's stamp of ownership upon us. What is that seal? What is that stamp of ownership? It's his spirit. He's within us. The spirit of God is that source of life that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you understand that his death on the cross has the ability now to wash away every sin when you trust in him, not just believe, 
the facts of the cross. See, up until I was 14, raised in a Christian home, I believed the facts. I knew them. If you gave me a test, I could very possibly ace it. I was a Sunday school boy. But I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was still dead, and I was dead in my sins. Ephesians 2.1. Paul says to the Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. A few verses later, but now you are alive in Christ. You are alive. You have a stream of living water flowing through you, Jesus says. I want to talk about that right now. So turn with me, if you will, turn with me. I'm jumping ahead of myself. You can turn with me to uh, Ezekiel 47. I I turned to my wife during the announcements and said, you know what, I'm not sure I'm preaching this morning. Because about every single one of the the, the songs that we sang this morning is my sermon. So I'm not sure I need to do that. But I'm going to do it anyway because I think God wants me to and I'm going to obey him. But this is going to be like a uh, a, a redo, okay? So uh, you're you're turning to Ezekiel 47. (laughs) Church, we have become springs with God as our eternal source. When I gave my heart to Christ, I wanted him. There was a change that took place in me. I'm going to call that the life of God's spirit in me. I wanted his word. Remember when Meredith gave her heart to Christ? She was 16. And when that happened, she said she just couldn't get enough of the word. It was like the word was life to her. And she would sit down and she would just share it wherever she would go. She would get this captive audience of at least one person. Many of times it was guys, okay? And she would say, I got to share Jesus with you, all right? And they would think, who is this Jesus freak? But man, she just loved, she had to tell somebody. You know, when you have, when something amazing happens in your life, you got to tell somebody, don't you? And that's, that's who she was, and that's who she is today. She's got to tell somebody because there's life in her. Having believed, she was marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, just like you were. And I, I, I can remember when Sarah Jeffords got engaged. Now, I wasn't there for this, but my girls were, and they thought it was so cute and adorable. And she was just with this huge grin on her face. She would just said, she just said out loud, I wish everyone could be in love just like I am. I want you to know that as a Christian, I I want everyone to know what it's like to really be in love. And, and yes, I am, I am absolutely in love with my wife, but I am talking about this love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And because of what he did, and he, did, he displayed that love for me on the cross and then rose three days later from the dead to demonstrate victory over, over this right here, this death. Because he wanted a spring of living water in me. And he wants that in you. And I tell you what, I want that spring of living water inside other people. And, and I wish they could be in love with Jesus like I am. And I'm grateful many of you are. And that is exciting. I'm going to just read a few verses to you about this life. This life, by the way, there are two words in the Greek for life. One is bios. Some people might pronounce it bios, but we get the word biology from it. This word bios is the sense of life. 
it is existence or like physical existence. So when you put something under a microscope and you're studying biology, you see those cells and you see all that's going on in there and you see this physical life under a microscope up close. There's another Greek word. It's actually used much more frequently in the scriptures because the scriptures talk to us not just about this physical existence, but it talks about a spiritual life. This word is the word zoe. And this is the word that I'm going to read to you. Zoe is life, but it is a supernatural or can be understood as a supernatural life or existence. And I'm going to suggest to you that that life flows from God and only flows from God. It's, it's as if, here's, here's the difference. Let me use an illustration. The vacuum cleaner. When you plug the vacuum cleaner on and press that on button, it comes to life. The barrel brush starts operating, and it does a super job of sucking. And then, so if it's good vacuum cleaner, it really sucks, right? Yeah. And so, but I could look at that as it's vacuuming, and I could say, wow, it, this, when I plugged it in and turned on, it really came to life. See, that's bios. The zoe, though, is the electricity that powers it. That's what I want to talk to you about right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, see that's death, but have eternal life, eternal zoe. This is the life that he offers us, not the death, but the life, that sense of satisfaction and completeness and fulfillment and joy and peace and this real, genuine, eternal hope. That's what he offers us. That's when we get plugged into him. How? By believing in his only begotten son, his one and only son, Jesus. John 4, 6, 47, Verily I tr very truly I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. It's not heaven that you stick in your back pocket. Eternal life is much more than heaven. Eternal life is something that you possess as soon as you trust in Jesus Christ because the Spirit comes in you and does what? He brings you life. And it is that life. And it lasts forever, yes, but it is life. It's brought you from the dead. And that's what he's talking about. You have it right now, John 20, 31. But these are these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, Zoe, in his name. In his name. No other name. In his name. And in Acts 4.12, it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. There is no other thing or object or person. There is no other idea or ideology. Nothing. No other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So I'm saying this salvation, this is life, church. This is life. This is the Zoe that he promises. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. So here's my question. Do you want to have this life? And maybe you, maybe you do have this life. But you are feeling so dry. You are feeling still alone. You are feeling empty. And I'm going to suggest to you 
that there is more. There is a fullness that God offers you that when now we turn to Ezekiel 47, we find it. Now, I have preached on Ezekiel 47 before. I love this passage. Ezekiel is unique in that he gives us word pictures. Uh, Sometimes they're prophetic acts. He actually laid on his side for a certain number of days to demonstrate the number of, uh, as far as the disobedience of Israel turned over and on the other side for a certain number of days, demonstrating uh, how long that uh, Judah had been living apart from his life. Uh, He did some really strange things that God asked him to do. But he, he now paints a picture in this vision for us, and this picture is exactly what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, life in the Spirit. Are you ready? Now, I'm only going to tell you about the beginning, and then I'm going to jump in a little bit later so I don't read the whole chapter. But he has a vision, and he sees the temple, and so you know we have already discovered to this point, the reader has, that this temple is very profoundly prophetic about Christ himself. Christ is that temple. Actually, if you were to go back into the Old Testament and you were to see what the temple and all the things of the temple represented, it would all point to Christ. Paul says they are shadows and Christ actually casts those shadows. They all point to Jesus. The sacrifices, everything. So Christ is the temple, but now in Paul's language, he says that we too are this building joined and fitted together, rising to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we too are this temple. And in this vision, here's what's cool. In this vision, there is this little stream, and it flows out of the south side of the temple. And may I just say this, there never was a stream that flowed from the temple. So this is very prophetic. This is a picture, and it's, it's out of the ordinary. So it flows, and it flows on the south side of the temple, but it flows east. It flows east, and its destination is the Dead Sea. Now, do you know why they call it? the Dead Sea, because about 24 plus percent of the water is salt. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It's about 1,500 feet below sea level, so streams flow into it, nothing flows out. You know what that can produce. It produces death. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. There's nothing alive in it. But this stream, this river, this stream flows, and it eventually flows into that Dead Sea. Well, let's find out what happens to it. So he's walking along. He's walking away from the temple, and and there's an angel who is directing him. And in verse 3, it says, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off yet a thousand more cubits, led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. We're not done yet. We're only getting started. Next verse, verse 5, he measured off another thousand feet and now a river that I could not cross because the water has ri- was ri- had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Now, do you have that picture in your mind? First, he's walking across into this little stream, it's a trickle, and it's ankle deep. Then he gets up and it's knee deep, thousand cubits further, and then a thousand more, and it's waist deep. And he can wade out into this water, okay. 
He's able to still be in control. He walks out. He comes back. No problems. But now a thousand cubits further, he can't do that anymore. The current sweeps him off his feet. The only thing that he can do is swim. But he can't swim directly across. He can only, listen to this now, he can only swim with the current. Now, how many of you have ever experienced an undertow out there at New Smyrna Beach or wherever? And, they, they, and I have never been in a rip current, and I hope I never will, or my family or any of you. They, some of you, I think, have told me you've gotten caught in a rip current. There's a way to get out of it, but the way you don't is to swim sh- to shore because you're fighting it, and it's too strong. You, can't, you are not strong enough to swim to shore. So, of course, you, you swim parallel to get out of the rip current. But that sweeps you off your feet. You are no longer in control. You can swim, but you are not in control. When you step into the water here, you are not in control. This river is the very river that I was talking to you, that Jesus spoke of, streams or rivers of living water flowing in you. That is the Spirit. of The Spirit of God is flowing from the temple into the Dead Sea. You know, we're not there yet. It hasn't flowed into the Dead Sea yet. We're going to get there. You're going to find out what happens. But as soon as he gets out, he is asked, the angel says, Son of man, Do you see this? I want you to underline that in your Bibles. Do you see this? And that is my question to you. Do you see this? Not only do you see it, but do you get this? Because this question asks, do you understand what is happening right here, right now? And why it is so, or how it is so different than the other three times, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, Because you were in control. But at this point, it is a raging river, and you are not in control. You see, when we're dead, we want to be in control. That marked my life. I wanted to be, I wanted to carve my destiny. I wanted to choose, I wanted to make the decisions in my life. Not God. But he says, you know, we're here in the spirit. He is in control. So he gets out after being asked this question, and I think he is wanting Ezekiel to see one more thing. Listen to this, church. Listen to it. This is awesome. He says, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw. What did he see? A number, a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes into the Arab. The Arab is that region, and it's plush green, and it's just north of the Dead Sea. It's right where the Jordan empties into the Dead Sea. But this is not the Jordan River, mind you. He says, where it enters the sea, uh, when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. That word fresh is literally in Hebrew, healed. Now, if you're talking about the Dead Sea and the salt of the, that salty water, you would, how is it healed? Well, it's made fresh, and that's why it's translated this way. But the real word is healed. This river has the ability to take that which is dead and make it alive, to heal it. 
I know in my life that is exactly what I needed. I needed to be healed. My wife, her testimony, God had to heal her. God, by the way, physically healed her, but had to heal her spiritually in her heart and remove a lot of the deadness that was there and bring her to life spiritually in God. And as we move, so that's the second thing that he sees. When he steps out, he sees these trees. And everywhere, look at verse, what is it? Verse 12, I think it is. What types of trees? Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Right here. He did not see that when the water was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. But when it's a raging river that he cannot cross, he gets out and there is life. Church, there is life everywhere. The trees are bearing fruit. Everywhere the water goes, it brings life. It brings healing. It empties into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea becomes alive. Listen to this. It says, there will be large, well, swarms, verse 9, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Kind of gives you a picture of God's creation, Genesis 1, the swarms of living creatures. That's how it's worded. This is a recreation. This is God's life being now poured out over the land by his spirit. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh, heal. So where the river flows, everything will live. This is the, if you're a Christian, this is that which is in you, the spirit of God everywhere in you. It can bring life. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Enaglaim. There will be places for spreading nests. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, which would be the Mediterranean. That big. I'm sorry, there are whales in the Mediterranean. Hello. Large, all kinds of fish, huge fish. But the, listen to this, though. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Now, this word for healing in the Hebrew is, the, is better translated medicine. Different word. But see, that's you. That's who are the fruit trees. That's, that's you and me. God bringing life to us, bearing fruit. And God uses our leaves in this illustration to bring healing to the nations. You see, when that life gets in you and you become this, God wants that life of the Spirit to flow through you. You are not the Dead Sea. You are not a stagnant pool where there's death. You are life. And the Spirit of God wants to flow through you. And my question then, in view of all of this, my question is, where do you want to hang out, if you will? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be in the ankle deep, the knee deep, the waist deep? Or do you want to be in that portion of the river in which you're over your head, beyond your control, where it brings life everywhere you go? Because your life is empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is living through you. The words that you begin to speak, you may not feel that they're amazing, awesome words. 
But they are spirit-empowered when they start bringing out the truth of God's word, when they start speaking of what Jesus has done for you, the testimony, what God has done for you. That has power because it speaks of the amazing grace of God and how by his death on the cross and you trusting in him, your sins have been forgiven. You have been set free. You have life in you. And that truth, you have embraced and it's changed you. Now I'm going to conclude with this little story. It's a story that I've made up, so please don't research it on, don't Google it. World War II, Nazi prison camp. An old lady, health failing. She is sweeping her cell, locked cell, of course. The broom hits an object and it scurries across the floor and in the faint sunlight that trickles into her cell, she could see it glitter as it scooted across the floor. And it caught her attention and she reached down under her bed where it stayed and and she picked it up and it was a golden key. And she had actually worked with gold before she ended up in the Nazi prison camp. And as she's looking at that key, she just saw how pretty it was. And she, there was no tarnish on it whatsoever, which said to her, this is pure gold. This is valuable. And she, she held it in her hand and looked around to make sure that no one saw her. She looked at it again, and she pulled several strands of her hair and intertwined them and put it through the, the hole in the key and tied it around her neck and stuck it under her little shirt. She treasured that. Some time passed, and she remembers one day there was an invasion. She heard the bombs going off. She heard the rat-a-tat of machine guns and then silence. She heard some voices. She called out. There was no response, and then the voices faded. And a day went by. No soldiers came with food. Another day went by. No water, nothing to eat. She would call out. There was no response. A third day passed. And she, day by day, was getting weaker and weaker. And she realized that if she did not do something, that she would die. She realized that the Allied forces had captured the concentration camp and could not find her and they had left and there was no one to help her. And as her life was ebbing from her body, she put her hand to her chest as she said, God, please, please come to my rescue or I will surely die. And as she put her hand to the chest, she felt that key one more time And as she looked at, opened her hand, she said, what if, what if, and she took that key and she reached around and put it in the keyhole and turned the key and the door swung open. That key is the truth of the gospel. You've heard it today. Some of you in your past, you've responded to it. How sad. Would it be if that woman 
with the treasure that that key was. Not found in the fact that it was pure gold, but found in the fact that it would unlock her prison cell door. If she died that day, never discovering that truth. What a shame. You knowing the gospel, but never responding. What a shame if you never allowed Jesus Christ to set you free. You see, the battle has already been fought for your life. The battle was won at the cross. It is now up to you, hearing the truth of the gospel, to take the key and apply it. It is that key and no other key that will unlock your prison cell. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other truth that will set you free. There is no other truth that will bring life. And my last question is this. My friends, where are you going to live in this river? You see, you have the opportunity when you use that key to jump in to the deep water. We just sang that song. To jump in to that raging river that no man can cross. It's too strong. And for you at that point to say, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to wade through this and I'm going to surrender to the Spirit of God and I'm going to let Him live in me. And that, my friends, is life in the Spirit. That's what I want us over the next several weeks to discover together. And these truths, how can life in the Spirit truly satisfy? And how is life in the Spirit going to open up doors and allow me to walk in every good thing that God has for me? To find myself victorious in sin, to find myself walking in the center of his will and enjoying him forever and ever and finding full satisfaction in him alone and in nothing that this world offers, only Jesus. Can you stand with me right now? I'm going to give you an opportunity today. By the way, Rose wherever she is, awesome job presenting the gospel yesterday and in Sunday school. But you have an opportunity again. If, if you were at the, the block party, wonderful. So glad that you were able to come today. I, I want to give you a, an opportunity. Again. You are presented with the key today. It's gold. It is pure. It is amazing. It, you can't price it on the market. What a shame if you held on to that key and you never used it. You use it by faith. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever does what, church? Believes in me. That's right. Will not perish, but have Zoe, life everlasting. I offer you that life today. Jesus offers you that life today. Springs, streams of living water flowing from him. Father, I, I do ask that as we come to this place of decision, God, where we need to be broken, may we be broken. May we become so dissatisfied, finding life everywhere but you. It, it, it 
does not fully satisfy. You created us to only find that in you. And I just ask, Father, for those who are here this morning, that they would make that decision. They would call upon the name of the Lord. They would cry out to you, God, would you come and would you rescue me? And I'm just going to give you an opportunity. If you want to come to the altar, if I could have life group leaders, leaders, if you could come on up here. And if you want to, to give your heart to Christ and surrender your life to him, I invite you to do that right now. I invite you to do that right now. Allow Jesus Christ to rescue you. If you want to just do that right where you're standing, that's your business, whatever you want to do. It is the condition of your heart, not where you're standing, that God honors. If today, however, you're a Christian and you are wandering in life only ankle deep in what God has for you, I want to tell you this, he has more. Knee deep or waist deep, God has more. And if you want to experience that more, that life in the Spirit, wherever it goes, it brings life. I encourage you, ask Him for it. You can come up here and our leaders, they can pray for you. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, would you please break through to us what an amazing life, what amazing power that you have given us to be able to live in. God, I want that raging river. I, I want to surrender every bit of control in every moment of my life. I want to constantly look to you, and I want you to be my strength so that wherever I go, as the Spirit of God is in me, that Spirit brings life. It brings it in me, and it brings it in others. God, I want that. I want that. I don't want the cheap imitation the world offers. I'm wearied by I want all of you, Father. Right now, as our hearts are humble, I ask you, Father, you speak profoundly to us. Spirit of God, you move in our midst right now. You be that river flowing through this place at this moment. We love you so much, God. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our life surrendered to you. How can I serve you? Make me your servant. You're worthy of that in your life. If you have never given your heart to Christ, just cry out to him. You can just, in your own words, in your, in your heart, you want to speak it out loud, but you just cry out to him and say, God, I am a sinner and I need to be rescued. And I just pray right now, Father, lavish. Lavish us with your love. Lavish us with your love. We are not worthy, but Christ is, and that's who we call out to. Lavish us with your love, God. We give you praise. Thank you, God, for the truth of your word. Show us how to live in that every day, God. In Jesus' name.